Hello and welcome to the Persist Podcast. I'm so excited to have Monica Wilson with us today. Monica is currently the Vice Mayor and serving her third term on the Antioch City Council and is the first Black woman to serve on the council. She is a past board chair of Tri-Delta Transit. She was recently re-elected as the Northern California Vice Chair for the California Democratic Party Women's Caucus. She is a graduate of the Emerge California program, class of 2011, a Democratic Women's Leadership program which trains women to run for office. Welcome to the show, Monica. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> yeah, I've been looking forward to this interview. And uh, for, for our listeners out there, can let's let's just start with you telling us a bit about yourself and your path into politics. Oh, wow. So my path into politics was <laughs> kind of an accidental one. So to kind of you know give you a background on myself, I was actually born in Washington, D.C. I know you're like, oh, I didn't tell you to take it back that far. But uh, <laughs> I was uh, born in Washington, D.C., and my family moved to Northern California when I, I just turned three. So although I was born on the East Coast, more of my memory and upbringing is in uh, Northern California in uh, San Rafael. So grew up in Northern California to parents, especially my mother, that was all about you know, giving back and and being, you know, how do you give back to your community and how do you, you know, how do you become active? You know, growing up, you know, my mom was a public school um, educator and she was a principal and she was very active in the California Teachers Association. And, you know, she always used to talk about when she was little, you know, growing up in South Carolina, growing up, you know, she was active in making sure people voted when she was younger. And so I remember on my 18th birthday, waking up with the, uh, I'm giving you a visual with the voter reg form, like fill this out, fill this, I need you to fill this out right now. So that kind of started it. And then, you know, once I registered to vote, she always made sure, even when I went away to college back in the eighties, giving away my age, she had to help me fill out my voter absentee registration because back then to be an absentee voter, you had to be out of the state or there was some type of reason you had to give a valid reason. And so she got me set up before I left for college and made sure like every time an election came up, she would call like a month out, you're going to get some material about what's going on in the initiative. So my mom planned the seed, but it was it was going to be it was going to be years later before I became really active in politics, and it was shortly it was probably around 2008. I had you know I'd been on the East Coast for walks. I went to school back east. I went to Howard University. Fun fact: I was a freshman at Howard when Kamala Harris was a senior. So. <laughs> Never saw her, but we were on campus at the same time for like one year. But anyways, so it was 2008. I'd moved back to the Bay Area after living kind of throughout the United States. And I had closed on a brand new home and lost my job. Got laid off. Company, you know, went into work one day and they're like, we're downsizing. We're probably eventually going to go out of business. The first wave of you are just going to, we're going to let you go right now. And it was like, wait. And I remember struggling and being really upset and what's, you know, how did this happen? You know, I work, I went to school, I worked really hard. How did, you know, how did the people that ran this company, why, you know, why is this, it was just barely, why is this happening? And I know it was happening, you know, to everybody around that time, people were losing their jobs and losing their homes. And I remember kind of having this pity party and my mom was like, well, what are you going to do about it? I'm like, well, I don't know what to do about it. She goes, we're in the middle of an election cycle there, you know, everything from the president to some local things are going on, jump on a campaign, find somebody that you think, you know, is doing what you think is the right thing. And I'm like, I don't even know how to do that. She goes, well, just 
called the Democratic Party. And next thing you know, I was writing postcards for Obama for America and got involved in, in, in that campaign. He won. And then I was like, well, what's the next thing I do? And somebody said, well, sign up for your local central committee and the, the state Democratic Party. So I did. And, you know, I jumped from like campaign to camp initiatives to campaigns to camp, you know, to camp, you know, jumping from campaign to campaign. Even at one point thinking, oh, I definitely want to be a person that works on campaigns. Like I, I, I really enjoyed doing that. And I remember I had, let's see, I'd worked on, well, at the the time he was our state senator, Congressman DeSaunier's first run when he ran for Congress. And he had lost to uh, now Congressman Garamendi, but then we had redistricting and things happened. He's now currently, he's not my congressman, but he's congressman a couple districts over. But I'd worked on his campaign and I worked for Assemblywoman Susan Bonilla on her campaign. And I remember one day, she just called me out of the blue and she was like, what do you, you know, what do you want to do? You know, do you want to get into politics? I said, well, yeah, I like working behind the scenes. Like, have you ever thought to run? And I was like, uh, in my head, I'm like, no crazy lady. I want to work behind the scenes. And so I, I kind of threw something out there at the time I was working at Mills College. And I said, oh, if I run for anything, maybe community college board. And she was like, no, I think you need to run for city council. Your, your council out there is just not, no. She's like, it's just not a good council and we need to get somebody in there that's going to be willing to make change. And so I told her, you give me, I said, I'm getting ready. To, um, I'm getting ready to take a trip. To, <laughs> I'm going to go on a cruise to Cabo San Lucas. <laughs> and uh, I said, I will talk about it. I'll talk about it when I get back, give me a minute to think about it. And literally I'd gone on the cruise, come back. I cleared customs. My cell phone rings and it was her calling me like, have you made up your mind? I'm like, were you tracking my boat? And I said, yeah, you know, I'm going to seriously consider this and had a couple of conversations with her. And she was really so kind and empowering that she was like, talk to these six people. You know how people like, you talk to them like, okay, do you talk to these six people? So these six people she had me talk to and they were really encouraging. And I think one of the six people had said, well, you know, one of your council members has chose not to run in 2012. So that seat is going to be open. And then it's just kind of like, if I'm going to do this now seems to be the time. And so I jumped in and you know, heard everything from nobody knows who you are. Nobody wins on the first try. You know, it's hard to break up the political power that to be that was in power at the time. It's hard to break that up. And, you know, jumped into the race. It was like me and six other people. Lamar Thorpe was actually my campaign manager. He literally had just moved to Antioch a few few months before. Like Lily had only been in him and his family had only been in Antioch for a couple of months and really came up with a really good strategy of, you know, things that we learned and emerged, like go, you know, going out and talking to people. That was one thing I did notice when I ran that people, the people that were being elected would just put these signs up and do nothing else. They were just like, I'm going to throw my signs up. People are going to elect me because of my name. And so we were like really the only people out there just going and knocking on doors and, you know, asking people to vote for me. And there were some people like, well, you know, I've always voted for so-and-so. And I'd have to remind them like, Hey, there's two council seats up. You have two votes. Who's your second vote? And like, Oh, I haven't thought about my second. I said, well, would you vote for me? Can I be your second vote? And it was really, you know, asking people either A to, you know, vote for me or B, you have two votes. You don't have a second person you want to vote for. And lo and behold, I won one of the two open seats. I had 
you know, beating out the the former mayor who was running for city council. There was a gentleman that had been on school board for like many, many years. There were a lot of people that had way more name recognition than I did and was able to to do that and was like, oh my goodness, I <laughs> I did it. I did, you know, it's like, I did it, I did it. So I give it kind of gave you the quick version of how I got um, on the city council. And in, in 2012, I was the first black woman ever elected to city council. Mm-hmm. Um, we had two, you know, two black men that were, uh, had been elected. And, and mind you, you know, the year I moved to Antioch in 2006, the council was made up of four men, one woman, and the one woman was a Latina woman. And mm-hmm. um, it was four white men. That was the council. Wow. Little to no diversity. <laughs> so first of all, I love your story. And I love that it mirrors so much of what we know to be true for women who run for office is that like we need other women oftentimes or other people in general to encourage us to run. So I'm glad that you had those people along your path saying you should think about running for office. I also love that your mom planted those seeds early on, you know, those political engagement seeds. And also, you know, Antioch, I was doing some research on Antioch. Antioch is a city that has majority people of color, right? Right. I mean, uh, the majority of people of color, but the sad thing is the majority of people that vote are are, are Caucasian. Not to say that's bad, but it's kind of sad and really trying to get all these different diverse groups out to vote. Absolutely. I think that that's a common issue. And uh, I was thrilled to see that you were the first Black woman elected to the council. What has that experience been like for you? You know, it's been it's been a roller coaster of, of a ride. Uh, I, I can, uh, the best way I can describe it is heavy is the head that wears the crown. And <laughs> there, you know, it's 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 very invigorating to go. Oh, I broke that. I broke that glass ceiling. I made it through. But then you have to. You know, people are all eyes are on you. Like, okay, you're the you're the first. What are you going to do? What are you doing? And when you're first elected, there's real. There's no nobody's come up to you with a man and go. This is what you do once you're elected. You kind of you kind of are figuring it out, and you know, it's a, you know, you win, and you have like these supporters that were with you um, that are like, okay, you won. We're going on to the next campaign, and they leave. And then, you know, to be honest, sometimes, you, you know, there are people that sit on the council that are like, I'm not going to be, I'm going to, I'm not going to help you and make you, you know, I'm going to do whatever I can to, you know, make sure I'm in the best light and I'm not going to. So it was a lot of, a lot of missteps my first term on council, just trying to figure out my place, figure out who the, what voice do I represent on council. And I remember one thing I did and I see, it's, it's interesting because I see a lot of new new council members and particularly new women council members make this mistake that I did. I would, I, in the, my first term, I would go to everything. If it was a chamber event, if it was a ribbon cutting. I would just go to every and anything thinking, Oh my God, if people see me at all these things. Mm-hmm. They're going to really think, Oh, she's, you know, she's working really hard. She's doing this. What had happened was people started going, well, I don't know what I see you at stuff. I don't know what you're about. And then my, then I was getting sick all the time. So I'm like, why am I sick? Cause I'm not getting enough rest. And so really my second term, I really, really had to sit down and, and define myself. And so what, one of the things that came up at the end of my first term, and I really took it to my second term was, you know, learning about human trafficking, how frequently it happens. The numbers were high in the East. So I live in the Eastern part of Contra Costa County and really trying to bring the awareness. Like that was my, my first goal. I'm like, I need to bring awareness to this because people, people don't see it happening and they think it happens someplace else. So that was like the big the big thing for me that turned it around that I became the voice of survivors of sexual violence and that, you know, as I continued 
to fight for that. It evolved into fighting for people struggling with mental health and not criminalizing people that are, you know, that are having a mental health breakdown and, and you. So now people know me as the advocate on council, like, okay, Monica's going to advocate, you know, advocate for those voices are not necessarily heard by everybody. Yeah. You know, one of the reasons I was most excited to interview you is that I love following you on social media um, because it's clear that you're not afraid to tackle social issues that are inherently political, but are often left out of the municipal dialogue. The examples you just gave around human trafficking and sexual assault awareness are are huge issues that permeate society, but we don't often see council members talking about these things. So first of all, thank you for doing that. But also I'm curious to know about what kind of response that's gotten. You know, it was interesting in the beginning, people were like, you know, you you get the, no, that doesn't happen. I had one person say, stop talking about it because it's depressing. I'm like, no. If I stop talking about it, then X amount of young men and young women are going to get killed or are going to be um, caught up in this system. I mean, because, you know, traffickers are predators. They're looking for people with vulnerabilities. And those vulnerabilities could be anything from somebody that may be homeless, somebody that's trying to, you know, is going through their sexual identity or somebody that's like, hey, I got this what appears to be this normal home life, but I'm dealing with stuff that nobody I can't have those conversations with. And traffickers look for that. They look for vulnerabilities. They look for people that, you know, may be off by themselves or look for people that may be, you know, hey, I need, hey, can you, can you get me lunch? Or, I mean, there's there's so many, and it's very sad. There's so many entries for traffickers to Mm -hmm. prey on people that it's very scary. And so that's through, you know, through my work with human trafficking to, uh, you know, prior to the pandemic, I used to do a sexual violence March and resource fair. And then this past year, we did a whole thing on teen dating violence awareness. You know, people didn't didn't know that February is teen dating violence awareness month. Do you know Mm -hmm. Congress deemed that in 2010? Wow. They they created that in 2010. Somebody probably had this great idea and it got put on a shelf and nobody talked about it ever again. And so I bought it back and had all of our high school juniors and seniors come to this event and a lot of the teachers made it a requirement. And so it gave them time to learn and discuss and talk about. And a lot of, I had a couple of students that came to you afterwards, like either saying, I know somebody who I believe is in a situation or I'm in a situation. So anything I can do to help people, you know, get out of something that's dangerous or, or violent or help them get through something, you know, I'm willing to have that conversation and talk about it. That can be life-changing. I'm really grateful that you're bringing awareness to these important issues. And now that you've been on the council for a while, I'm curious to know about going forward. You know, what are the issues that you're still wanting to address? You know, what, what are you eager and excited about working on next? You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I just have touched the surface with mental health awareness and how do we support people going through trauma. And so I, Earlier this year, I was able to get the council to approve our cities, approve that our city have our very own 24-hour mental health crisis team. That's incredible. Um, and so, yeah, I did all the, re- I you know, did the research from Whiteberg Clinic that has a program called Cahoots. Yes. And that is, although they they do work somewhat along, alongside the police department, it's that group that goes out to somebody that may be going through some a trauma that may call 911 saying, I'm going through something, I need your help. And have them come instead of 
you know, you know, our police departments are overstretched and we keep adding stuff to them. Like, okay, you're going to be a social worker. You're going to be the schoolyard attendant. We're, you're going to be this when we're, when we really need to be investing in, Hey, are we sending the right people to the right situation? So that was, that was one thing I'm doing a lot around youth just recently bought to council that each of our boards and commissions have at least one youth member on, on our board. So we just open that up to youth. So a lot of youth like, thank you. I want to get, you know, so a lot of them are applying for parks and rec, but I'm like, you know, there's planning, there's all this other, other commissions. So I was really excited to bring, to bring that. And now another thing I'm really going to really push and, and talk about is the overall health and well being of our city. I'm in a community, like you said, it's, you know, it's a diverse community, but we have a community that we have high instances of asthma and diabetes and people that don't have access to, you know, healthcare that use the the emergency room as their, their doctor's uh, visit. Like, how do I help that? How do I inform the community? So I'm actually uh, working with a, a young man who's actually interning with me and we're going over environmental health and how it affects people's physical health. So I'm looking forward to going into that and, and discovering and discovering more and letting the community know how they can be healthy. That was an amazing list of, uh, yeah, I, and I, you know, and this year, my term is only t- two years. Um, I don't know if you, so our city went through districting. So we did districting. And so in 2020, every council member had to run, usually it's staggered like two and two. Yeah. Um, so every council member, including the mayor had to run. And so, so we all of us ran in 2020. And so I won my district. But to restart the stagger, two districts had to have a two-year term. So I'm one of the people in a two-year term. Oh, well. So I'm up for re-election next year. So I know I have a lot to get done before that um, election cycle. So yeah, you know, I like to give myself a big list. So, you know, even if I don't get through all of it, I can feel accomplished that, oh, you know, I, I know I had 10 things. I did these two things really well. So I'm ex- excited about that. That's a really ambitious list. Uh, and I just want to underscore, you know, the importance of a model like like cahoots, right? And the fact that more cities are recognizing the importance of sending trauma-informed responders to situations and removing some of that work from the police who, like you said, they have enough on their plate anyway. And uh, this isn't their first um, choice in terms of the work that they're doing. And so it, it's going to be better, I think, going forward that people are raising awareness of how much of a difference it makes, you know, to send out social workers, to send out people who are um, trained in this type of work as a first responder. So that that's really correct. It's 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 so important. I mean, that was one of the things I ran on. Those one of the issues I ran on this last election cycle. And so when I was talking about, I even did this op-ed piece. And and when I was talking about it, people, you know, I got people. Oh, well, you hate the police. I'm like, no, I didn't say I hate the police. I'm just saying mm-hmm. there's a better way we can handle and there's a better response that we can send to people. Yeah. Trauma-informed professionals that can go and, and de-escalate. Even these, you know, these same groups, the CAHOOTS model even has like a proactive model where they can just go, go out in the community and, and assist with the homeless population and, right. and see like, Hey, what's going on here? Or if somebody calls and said, Hey, there's somebody acting, you know, one thing the CAHOOTS model taught me was somebody who appears drunk may not be drunk. Yes. Maybe, you know, have, you know, have a UTI. They may, you know, the sugar imbalance, there may, there may be a bunch of, a plethora of things going on and it's, you know, we shouldn't automatically always, oh, this person's drunk or on drugs. There may be something else, uh, else going on. So it's a good, you know, I did my research and homework and I thought that I believe that's a really good model. There's other good models 
know, City of Oakland's doing. I know San Francisco's doing mm-hmm. Cahoots. So I've been looking at quite a few models that have been successful and been around. And Cahoots is, you know, that's been in Eugene, Oregon for close to a little over 30 years, and it's been doing really well. That is fantastic. Uh, I'm curious to know, Monica, what has been your biggest challenge thus far in the political arena? Yeah, the biggest challenge, and I'm, I'm curious if this is a challenge for you. This is one of the challenges. So, you know, on city, you know, city council, we get a, what's called a stipend. It's like a small little to kind of, you know, help us with gas or whatever we're doing. And the amount of, I mean, I work, it seems like I do about 40 hours worth of work on city council and I carry a, a full-time job, which helps me, you know, you know, which I enjoy doing and, and, and it helps me pay my rent and the bills and everything. But, you know, when councils were kind of created, I think they were created in a time where probably the majority of people on council were either retirees or were in a position where they didn't really need something to bring in income that that's, you know, they were okay. Here we are in 2021 and in talking to many individuals and people that are now getting on councils and boards and, and what have you, that seems to be the topic of conversation of you know, I do this, but I do, I do so many hours, which we all know going into being elected and we all enjoy doing helping people, but somehow the state needs to really look at that, the compensation on, on these councils of, are we, are we compensating, you know, for the time that's, that's put in? So I don't want to sound like, well, dang, she, you know, she only got on council for the money. No, that's not it. But, you know, for, for me to, to thoroughly do everything like that long list of things I want to do in my community, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's hard juggling. You know, I just had a conversation with my my boss earlier today. It's like, okay, I need to, you know, are you getting this done? Yeah, I'm getting this done. And I'm balancing, you know, okay, I'm just, you know, I know you're, you're balancing it. You're balancing the two worlds. So that can be challenging. I don't know if you face the same challenge. That I, I face the exact same challenge that you just <laughs> described. Thank you for uh, perfectly outlining that. It's really hard because I think on some level, you know, it really is an equity issue, right? Yeah. You alluded to this. I think historically, the people on these councils have been mostly uh, white men, probably rich white men, at least in the area that I live in, that is the case. And so they haven't been doing this work because they needed the money, right? Uh, That they've been doing this work maybe for other reasons. But now we're seeing more diversity on uh, councils across the state and across the nation. And it is really hard for those of us who are not independently wealthy and those of us who need to have another another full-time job when really, if I'm being honest, I feel like I'm putting just as much work into the council role for a very, very small stipend. And uh, yeah, it's it's de-incentivizing, I think, for a lot of people who would be really great at doing this work. And that's unfortunate when we when we think about how important it is to have representation at the table. I think this is an issue that we need to move to the top of the list in terms of making sure people are properly compensated for their work. And so we can get a more diverse array of people at the table. So thank you for shedding light on that. Yeah, right. I mean, you're right. It is an equity. It is an equity issue. It is, you know, and it's, and I've seen, I've seen some candidates say, I can't, there's no way I can make this work. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's, and it's sad. And it's definitely, you know, I, like I said, it definitely needs to be taken to the state. I remember, you know, last year, not this time. Yeah. So in 2019, 2020, when we were going into the 2020 election cycle. It came before council, whether, you know, do we want to vote in a pay increase for the, the council that was coming in the next year? And people lost their minds. Like, oh my God, they gave themselves a 60% rate. Oh, they, uh, we went from like $9 and some change per hour, if you really broke it down, to like $11 an hour. And wow. I remember somebody, somebody, you know, approached me about it, like, why did you give yourself a raise? And then when I said what it was, like, 
oh my goodness, I didn't realize you were getting paid that. I'm like, well, not millionaires, you know? So it, it, it is an equity thing. And, and, and I've seen, it's really sad. I've seen really good potential candidates mm-hmm. say, no, I'm not going to do this. And you're like giving them all this encouragement. Like, no, if you do this and you know, maybe I can help you find something over here. And, and, and it's just like, you're in your head, like I'm, I shouldn't even be having this argument. It just really needs to kind of, you know, looked at it across the state to say, for these council members for the barrel work that they do, they should be compensated mm-hmm. for their for their work. And so, you know, it's it's I've heard others bring this topic up. I think it's definitely something it's time for this topic to come up. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad we're talking about it. I was gonna say I couldn't agree more. And uh let's work on this, Monica. Yes, definitely. <laughs> a really important issue. I'm glad that you raised that. Uh, maybe a space to raise this also is with the California Democratic Party. I know that you're very involved in the party and you serve as an officer in the Women's Caucus. For those out there who haven't experienced a convention, a caucus meeting, or don't know much about the party structure, please tell us what it's like and what motivated you to get involved at this level. Yeah, it's actually, I've I've enjoyed every minute of being uh, a part of the, the state party, being very involved in that. And again, it was somebody back in late 2008 and 2009 saying, I see you with all this stuff. You really should become an ADEM. And I'm like, what's an ADEM? And that's basically assembly, uh, assembly district elected member. So you become a, a delegate from your, from your area to, uh, to represent the voices of Democrats in the state party. And and I remember the first convention was come that, that I was going to, somebody had said, you know, I won the ADEM, you know, my seat on the, as, as an ADEM, that's what we call ourselves, ADEM. And um, somebody came to me and said, you know, when you go to the convention, get the most that you can out of the convention. Try to kind of get away with your comfort people and, and try to get out and learn things. And so my first convention, like I was at the Women's Caucus, I was at the Black Caucus, I was a Progressive Caucus, I, any caucus that I felt like I had some type of connection to, I went to, like, I went to like everything. And I just walk up to people, hey, I'm Monica from Cross County. And, and in fact, the first women's caucus meeting I went to, um, I bought my mom with me. My mom always comes to convention with me. So my mom was with me at convention. Surprisingly enough, she knew more people than I. Oh, there's Miss Ruby. And da, da, da. I'm like, mom, how do you know all these people? It's like my work from uh, on the California Teachers Association. And one of her friends at the women's caucus, my mom had entered like, oh, it's my daughter, Monica. She just joined the caucus. And this um, woman had said, hey, I just finished this program that trains women to run for office. And I'm like, uh, I'm not interested. Like, no, 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 you should look it up. You know, see if this is a good program for you to do. And it, that was this woman had recommended the Emerge program. And it took me a couple of years before I applied to it. But getting back to the party, you know, so that happened, you know, I would have never known about Emerge unless I was at the party and somebody that knew my mom came up and told me about it. So, I mean, it, it, that happened. And then I became a member of the women's caucus and um, Karen Weinstein at the time had just become the new chair and they were doing some programs. And I, I guess I was always around. And so finally one day she was like, I think you really need to be a, here. Another woman, I need you, you know, you should be on an executive board. And so I'm like, oh, wow, I literally just met this woman. And she said, and so I started off as the treasurer and then eventually became the policy issues chair. And now I'm the Northern California vice chair. But again, a woman, you know, and I see every time I see Karen, I'm like, you must have, you saw something that not a lot of other people saw. And, you know, thank you for, for pulling that out in me and look where I'm at now. And, and she goes, no, you did that all by yourself. She goes, I just needed, you know, you probably just need somebody to shine a little bit of light on it. And so again, you know, how uh, 
just another woman just said, you should really do this. But, you know, it's it's I, I enjoy going to convention because I learn a lot. I meet a lot of new people. I try to talk to as many people as possible. And it's just a, it's a good experience. And I, I always recommend people to to become a delegate and and get to know people. You know, I just there's a young woman that just uh, from Antioch that just became a delegate this this last time around. So she's she was uh, disappointed that the convention was virtual, but she still kind of attended. But I said, you know, next year is going to be great. This, you know, this is a woman who actually ran for city council in 2020, but lost in her district by like 300 votes. So we're trying to keep her involved. And mm-hmm. she's like the big advocate for our, for our unhoused residents in our city. So I met her because she, she came like every council meeting going, you guys are not doing anything for the homeless. You guys are just sitting up there doing like every council meeting. I finally went like, okay, I got to go sit down and talk with her. And so was really excited that now she's, you know, she, she ran and now she's a part of the party. So it was really rewarding to see that happen. That is fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. And I totally agree. The party is a great place to network, to make connections. It's mm-hmm. fantastic that you've been able to be mentored, but also mentor others. I think that that's yeah. so important for women, especially in the political arena. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, you know, I saw that you posted on social media recently about a vacation that you <laughs> took and it looked great. And it made me think about the importance of being able to unplug from this work every now and then. How do you balance your role on the council and your full-time job with all the other priorities in your life? You know, it's really, and I kind of touched on it before in my first term on council, just always, like, oh my, I got to go to everything. And and it's so important to, for me, my, you know, my wellness, whether not only physically, but mentally, mentally and spiritually, just I, my wellness, because if I'm tired and dragging, I'm not at, I'm not functioning at my hundred percent that, that I need, that the voters want me to be at. And even for myself, even with my job, the voters, and just for myself. And I just really, you know, being very mindful of, you know, I need to take a break and I need to unplug because it's a lot, but, you know, you have your challenges from work, you know, on council, you have your challenges, whether it's you're, you're trying to, you know, pass good policy or, you, you know, you've, you've gotten the, you know, 20, you know, 10 to 20 emails talking about how horrible of a person you are. And uh, <laughs> we all get those like 10 to 20, you're like, okay, yeah, it's the same 10 to 20 people always talking about how horrible I am. But it's good to, um, because you need that where, you know, and I, I was so happy with myself because normally I go on vacation. I'm somewhat kind of like, oh, let me look at my email. This time I was really, I think I may have looked at my email once, but I was like really like in the moment and I posted a lot on social media. And, you know, it's, it's and the thing is, you you, you got to be careful because you're like, okay, is this picture okay for me? to Is this picture going to come back? And, you know, but then at one point I'm like, you know, I'm just having a good time and I just want to show people it's okay to just unplug and relax and just kind of fill your, you know, fill your being, fill your soul up. So you come back, you're like, I'm, you know what, powered up, I'm ready to go. This is, these are things I want to do. And it's so important because you're going to see, and I'm sure you see it too. You see those certain electeds, you're like, they're just on go, 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 go. And you wonder like, they must not be well. I mean, I don't see them rest. I don't see them take a break. So it's sort of like on the, on the place, it may not be the best correlation you know like when you're on the plane and, and they're going through and they're going through the safety checklist and they talk about the uh the the air mask how they drop and it says put yours on first yeah and then help and they used to like make me panic as a child I'm like oh why are we not putting the child and then it, it i think it, at one point it like hit me i'm like it's saying for you to help anybody else you need to be well like you mm-hmm. need to so put your mask on first so you can be well and coherent to be able to help somebody else and i kind of 
you taking the vacation. That's, that's the air mask I'm putting on. Like I'm putting that mask on to kind of, okay, so I'm well, so now I can, I can be well and help others and be at full capacity. That is such a wise and brilliant <laughs> analogy and so important in light of what we've been discussing, right? About how this work is really demanding and time consuming. And for a lot of us, it's a second job, right? So thank you for sharing that perspective. That's really helpful. And, you know, we always end the show with, with the same question. And that question is, if you could give one piece of advice, I know you've been giving us a lot of great advice, but if you could give one piece of advice, uh, especially to college students thinking about running for office or getting involved in the political arena, what would that be? Wow. One, one <laughs> um, you know, I would say, yeah, I want to say just do it. I don't be like Nike, you know, find out the, th- the thing I would say, find what your passion is, find out what, what is, what is that one thing that makes you wake up in the middle of the night? Like I got to do something about it, or this is very important to me. Find your passion because that would, that's usually will take you to who your true self is. And then that's the person that runs. That person is not the person. Everybody's, oh, you need to do this because consultants and everybody's going to tell you certain things. But if, if you're thinking about running, I would say find your true self by figuring out what is it that makes you take that? What is that you're passionate about? Because in that passion, you can bring to the work you bring to the table. Plus, you also become that voice that you're passionate about. You become the voice of what you're passionate about. Like nobody, you know, nobody was talking about uh, human trafficking. Here I am talking about human trafficking. So that's my, my, of all the advice I would give, I'd say, find your passion, find your true self. And that's who, that's who it is that runs. Mayor Pro Tem, Monica Wilson, this has been such a fun and informative and inspiring conversation. And I'm actually just excited to jump offline and keep talking with you about how we can do some statewide work together. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us on the Persist podcast. Oh, anytime. Thank you. The Persist podcast is hosted by me, Denise Davis, director of the UCR Women's Resource Center, and is produced by Rosa Tejeda and the staff in the UCR Women's Resource Center. Check out our Instagram pages for links to more episodes at UCRWRC and at UCR Persist. If you'd like to sign up for our newsletter, please email us at wrc at ucr.edu. We hope that this podcast inspires you and those around you to get involved in the political arena because we know that who is at the table absolutely matters. Finally, if you have any ideas for who a future guest should be on the podcast, feel free to reach out and let us know.